There's a story of a doctor and a patient. The doctor said to the patient, I have bad news and I have worse news. The patient said, let's have it, doc. I'll take the bad news first. The doctor said, the bad news is that you only have 24 hours to live. The patient then replied, I can't imagine what could be worse than that. What's the worst news? The doctor said to the patient, I forgot to tell you yesterday. One of the reasons we do not stand fearless before the Lord is because we aren't sure if God is going to come to our aid in our time of need. We're not going to be sure if if He's going to save us in the nick of time. And in our own experience, we've called upon Him, we've prayed, we've requested of Him. But many times, it doesn't seem He seems to care, or he, he, He doesn't seem to answer according to our desire and according to our time frame. And if God is not going to save us in the midst of our time frame that we want, then what's the motivation, what's the reality of us wanting to step forward to be fearless for Him? Because we make ourselves very vulnerable when we proclaim Christ. And if He's not there to help us when we need Him, then what's the point? How do we stand fearless even in the midst of life's most severe trials and most severe tribulation? That's what we want to take a look at this morning as we continue our study in the book of Daniel in a series entitled Fearless. If you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to the book of Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. And we want to again see some spiritual principles that will teach us how to stand fearless, how to stand boldly for the world, for the Lord in this world. How do we stand boldly for the Lord amidst the trials and the challenges of our lives? Daniel chapter 3, we begin with verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. As we begin this chapter, we see that King Nebuchadnezzar has built a golden statue. He has built a statue that is 90 feet high, as tall as a nine-story building, and nine feet wide. Now, we don't know what this statue looks like, but perhaps we can conjecture that it was a statue uh, of the image he had dreamt of in chapter 2. The dream in which he was so fascinated with and which so troubled him. But notice that this statue, the Bible tells us in verse 1, is made entirely of gold. If you remember when we studied chapter 2 about Nebuchadnezzar's dream, we remember that only the head which represents Babylon, was gold. Here, we have the entire image of gold. Perhaps, Nebuchadnezzar was not content with God's prophetic revelation. Perhaps he was not content in the fact that his kingdom would fall and it would be taken over by the Persians, marked by the silver arms. And so he desired that his kingdom would be symbolized to last forever. And so he made the entire statue of gold. There was definitely an element of pride in this enterprise. Daniel had made it clear in chapter 2 that no empire would last forever except that of the messianic kingdom which will reign forever and ever. 
But the king's heart was filled with pride. He, he had just conquered so many lands. And he was the king of kings in the ancient Near East. And he wanted to show that his kingdom could last forever, perhaps. And so he made a 90-foot tall statue and put it in the plain of Doria, a very flat piece of land where all around for miles could see. Now we read in verses 2 to 3 that the king invites all of the officials from the entire land to come and to worship this image. And here we pick up in verse 4 of chapter 3. Then a herald cried aloud, To all of you, to all of those you have assembled, it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar was very wise. He had gathered all of his top officials, all those of his land, and he said, you must bow down to this image. You must worship this idol, this statue that I've set up. And to stir the emotions of the people, to give them Babylonian country pride. He used instrumental music in the background. As we know, music stirs the emotion. And it would be easy for him to manipulate and win their submission and obedience with all of this grand music. And that's why countries have national anthems. That's why in movies, uh, the music plays an important part in, in, um, in setting the tone, whether uh, it's of suspense or, or the climax. Just try listening to a, or watching a movie without the music. Um, it's, it's a very different feel. And so King Nebuchadnezzar realized how emotion can stir the people. Uh, and uh, and with, with grandiose music, uh, he would energize the people and everyone would be compelled to worship. Now, not only did he use music to stir them up, uh, he also had another motivation. He built right next or very close to the golden statue of a huge fiery furnace. And basically he said in verse 6, you've got the option. If you don't bow down and worship this golden image, then you will be thrown into the midst of a burning fire. There was great motivation to worship this image. No wonder everyone assembled willingly complied with some exception. Now we read in verses 7 to 11 that some Babylonian officials saw that there were three who did not bow down. It would have been very obvious because everyone was bowing down and these three stood up. Most likely these Babylonian officials were jealous of these three Jewish men, these captives who had risen through the hierarchy so quickly. And it would have been so obvious to them that they did not bow down. But what a picture of fearlessness. Amongst the thousands that had gathered, everyone lay prostrate before this image except these three men who stood against the edicts of the king. What a picture of fearlessness. And so they said to the king, they reported to the king in verse 12, There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Look how they pose this 
uh, information to the king in verse 12. They have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your God. They do not worship the image which you have set up. And for a king who is egotistical, as we will find out uh, when we get to chapter 4, for a king who was very prideful, any affront to his edicts and his order would have made him furious. These three have, have, have stood the ground in the face of your edict. No wonder the king was angry and he called them in. Look at verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time, you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. You will live. I'll give you a second chance. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Nebuchadnezzar called them in and apparently had some affinity for them, treasured them greatly perhaps, that he would give them another chance to worship the image. He says basically to them, if you do not worship the image, you will be cast immediately into the burning fiery furnace. And look how the king poses it at the end of verse 15. What God will be able to deliver you from my hands? What a prideful man. What a man who thought he was a demigod. A, a, a man who thought he was a man-god. He said, what God can go against the things of my hands? Basically, he told the three, nothing can stop me. Nothing will save you. What will you do? Now, before we continue, if you're students of the Bible, you may ask this question, where is Daniel? If all the officials had been gathered, where's Daniel? Or shouldn't he have been with all of the government officials? Did he bow? Unlike the other three, where did Daniel go? Now, the Bible doesn't say. But from what we know about the character of Daniel and about his resolution, we know that if he was there, he would not have bowed before this idol. And we know that from his life, and we'll find out more in Daniel chapter 6. Here was a man who was committed not to defile himself. He was at the prime minister at that time, as we know from chapter 2. And most likely, he was out of the country. He had been sent out to another country uh, on official business and did not have to assemble with the others in the plains of Dora. Now you say, well, that's not fair. How come God did not test Daniel as well and they had, uh, they, God tested these three? We are reminded of uh, a spiritual principle here. God does not test all of His children at the same time or in the same manner. God does not test all of His children at the same time or in the same manner. You know, we expect that if we're going to suffer and stand up for the Lord and, and to receive the ridicule and, and to receive the, the challenges, then you know what? Someone else, everyone else has to go through it as well. Well, it doesn't work that way. God does not test all of His children in the same time or in the same manner. He does it according to His time. Now, it would seem very unfair on the part of God that these three who stood up for the Lord are persecuted and brought to trial. Here were three who stood for the Lord. 
And yet they were challenged. We somehow have the notion that when we steer, stand fearless before God, that somehow we are saved from all ridicule and, and lavish with praise. But that's just not the case. Oftentimes when we stand boldly for the Lord, so when we stand fearless for the Lord, we will be singled out and we will be challenged. In the face of this challenge, how will they respond? You know, a lot of us, when we say we can stand fearless, we do it in anonymity. We, we don't mind standing fearless when we're in the, the, the group of friends, when we're protected. We are willing to stand up for the Lord when we're in the background. If I were to challenge you today, how many of you believe in Jesus Christ and how many of you will follow Him? Many of you will raise your hand proudly. But what about in the arena of, of, of hostile people? And a question is asked, how many of you are, are dumb followers of, of this dead Jesus? We may just raise our hand, but very shallow, yeah, me. That's about it. And we don't even say, I do, but we say it in our hearts. Many of us are willing to stand fearless when it is anonymously done or hidden in the background or amongst friends. But what about when it is done face to face? When we are challenged and confronted with our faith, how do we respond? Look at the response of these three. Look at verse 16 to verse 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O King Nebuchadnezzar, look at this answer. We have no need to answer you in this manner. If this is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hands, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Now the three could have easily compromised before the king and defended their disobedience by arguing, you know what, everyone else was doing it. Our, our rulers demanded that we obey, and so that's why we, we, we knelt. We bowed in our knees, but we won't bow in our hearts. And that's how a lot of us respond. We'll do it, but it doesn't mean anything. They, they may have said or justified, we can do our people more good by being officers in the king's service than by being ashes in the king's furnace. But you know, my friends, men and women of true faith and fearlessness... Do not look for loopholes in God's command. And therein lies the first principle from this section of how we are to be fearless. Being fearless means we do not look for loopholes. Being fearless means we do not look for loopholes. These three simply obeyed God. They did not give reason for why they bowed or what not. You see, their fearlessness rested on the commands and the promises of God, not on the arguments and explanations that they may have. These three knew the law of God. It was very explicitly stated in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 and verse 5. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not, note this, bow down to them nor, save them, nor serve them. Very clear. There are no loopholes no justification in not obeying God's command. Once the Lord has spoken on a matter, the matter is settled. And there is no room for discussion or need for compromise. And for them to bow even once, no matter what the excuse they give, they would have destroyed their witness and broken their fellowship with God. 
Therefore they answered the king in this manner in verse 16. O king, we have no need to answer you. Uh, meaning, we don't need to defend ourselves or our God. God will defend both himself and us. The three were not a least bit worried because they realized that God doesn't need their defending. He's perfectly capable and able to defend himself and to take care of his people. Our task is simply to obey and trust that he will do the rest. Would you underline in your Bibles verses 17 to 18? These are our wonderful verses. They responded, if this is the case, if we have to do this, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if he does that, if we die in the process, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your God, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. These three believed beyond a shadow of a certainty of doubt, that God was able to save them. They were going to see God work. But there was no guarantee. God had not promised them, Oh, you three, I will protect you from the fire. You stand firm for me, and I'm going to protect you. There was no guarantee at this point that they would not be burned to death. And herein lies our second principle. Being fearless means we are willing to accept the consequences. Being fearless means we are willing to accept the consequences. You see, a lot of us are willing to stand fearless before the Lord, but we look at the consequences first and we say, well, this won't damage our reputation too much. Uh, This won't hurt me too much. Well, uh, the choices are, are pretty easy. But when you're made a life and death situation, which is the most extreme, being fearless before the Lord says, I'm willing to accept the consequences. These three said, if God desires to save us, He can. But if He chooses not to save us from the fire, then we will still not worship the idol you've set up. How about you? If you are put in a very similar situation, how big is your God to you? These three knew about their God. They knew about the characteristic of their God. They realized that their God is the sovereign, omnipotent God who could save them from the fiery furnace. But they also believed very much in the sovereignty of God, in the perfect will of God, that if He did not save them from the fire, that's okay. They would die in the process, but they would never bow before these idols. There are many people, like you and me, who make bargaining with God, who bargains with God and says, God, I will stand firm for you if you promise to, uh, to heal my circumstances or uh, heal my body or change my circumstances. God, I will, I will stand boldly for you if you save me all the time, if you never allow me to go through ridicule, if you never allow for me to go through trials and temptations, I will serve you. I'll proclaim that I'm a Christian. But you see, true fearlessness stands for the Lord regardless of the consequence. Regardless. These three, including Daniel, had resolved, had determined that they would be different, that they would never defile themselves. They had resolved to do so. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I hear or read a story like this, 
or I hear a testimony or, you know, I read about the Holocaust and, uh, and, and these, these terrible events where, you know, people were made to reveal themselves as Jews or not. And if they did, they would go to the gas chamber. Uh, I've often thought if, if I was put in that situation, what would I say? If someone put a gun in my head and asked me, are you a Christian? And if you are, you will die. If you deny Christ, you will live. What would you do? I often think about that. And I don't know if you ever thought about that in your own life. How many of you have thought of such a similar event? Exchange gun for cross back in the first century or in the second century. Exchange the gun for the Colosseum to be eaten alive by wild animals, to be burned at the stake or, or whatnot. What would you do? Could you stand fearless at a moment such as that? I've often wrestled with that. Would I be willing to die for the Lord, to die for my conviction? Well, first of all, to help you in this process, if you've ever thought about this, uh, number one, it probably will never happen to you in your lifetime. It probably won't. It's one of those things that you think about, but uh, honestly, uh, for you living here in the Philippines and your very comfortable life, uh, it will never happen in a free country such as this. Uh, Secondly, uh, do you believe God can save you at that moment? Do you believe that God can save you at that moment? It is that belief... That will allow you to make the right choice. Do you believe that God is able? These three believed very strongly that God was able to save them from the fiery furnace. My God is able to save us from the fiery furnace. And if there's a gun in your head asking you to deny Christ or if you're a Christian, do you believe that God can save you? And you believe that He can, then you will make the right decision. And thirdly, I believe God will give you the grace and the strength at that time for you to be able to overcome. God will give you the grace and the strength at that moment to allow you to overcome. But you have to resolve at the very onset to be willing to accept the consequence. It's not at that moment that you're going to decide, well, am I really a follower of Christ or not? But even now, even today, you say, do I follow Christ Regardless of the consequences, will I be fearless before Him? Am I willing to accept the consequences? And you've got to decide that now. As Daniel and his three friends resolved when they were young, at the age of 16 perhaps, that they resolved never, never to defile themselves, never to disobey the commands of God. And many years later, that conviction still held true, regardless of the consequence. Well, look what happens to them in chapter th- uh, verse, uh, verse 19 of chapter 3. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. And the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He smoked and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. They were going to make that oven seven times hotter. Now, uh, if he was really angry and he wanted to extend their torture and punishment, you actually make the heat lower so that it, would, it, it, it wouldn't kill them instantly and uh, they would slowly roast. But uh, in his rage and, and not thinking properly, he commanded that it was, it was heated seven times. Uh, perhaps another perspective is that he wanted them to suffer as they looked and saw his soldiers put in more wood and, and close the vents that allowed the flames to shoot up. 
verse 20, and he commanded certain mighty men of valor, the bravest men of Babylon, who were in his army, to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three men were bound. They were, they, were, they were bound. They were tied in all parts to make sure they would not escape by the mightiest warriors of Babylon. Now, we often skip this part uh, or we, we overlook it, but... Did you notice that the Bible tells us that these three men were brought up by the mightiest men of valor? The strongest men of Babylon tied them up. The bravest of men. And, and, and they got so close to this fire that they died. Now, I often wondered about that. I said, man, these are really strong people, but they must be really dumb. They must be dumb because they got so close to the fire that they were burned up. Have you ever uh, gotten close to a, a fire pit or, or, um, or, or uh, a campfire or you put your hand to, a, to an oven or a stove? What's your instinctive reaction when, when it gets too hot? Uh, you, you pull back. That, that's, that's normal instincts. I mean, you have nerve endings there. You, you know it's hot and you can endure a lot of the heat, but if it's too much, you pull back. Now, it would have been very similar for these men as well. They were brave and they were strong, but you know what? When that heat comes, your natural reaction is, push the prisoners in, I'm moving back. No one can control fire, right? It's been burning seven times as hot. And at, 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 at the point where it got too hot, they would have pushed them in and went back. But here you see that God is still sovereign. God was able to control the fire. And I'll show you this a little bit later. God was able to control the fire that he made the fire burn them, even though they got to the limits of where they could endure the heat. God was showing that he was in charge even over the mightiest men of Babylon. God says, hey, you want to bind up my three servants? Let me show you who's in power. Let me show you that I can kill, I can wipe out, I can take care of my three even as they were being pushed into the fire. Look what God does for the three, verse 23. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselor, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king, look, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. And the satraps, the administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw that these men, on whose body the fire had no power, the hair of their head was not singed, nor were the garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Here, we see that God had protected these three. The only thing that the fire burned, you know what the only thing the fire burned was? Was the cords that bound them. The Bible said before they were cast and they were bound together, everything from their head all the way to their feet, to their hands. 
Now the Bible says they're walking around. So the only thing that the fire burned was the cords that bound them. And they're walking around as if it's the palace grounds, not as if it's a furnace. And here the Bible says, when the king looked in, he saw the fourth person, the image as if a son of God. And we know this to be the pre-incarnate Christ. Christ before he took on bodily form as he came as a babe of Bethlehem. God was in the very midst. God was there protecting them. God was communing with them. God was talking to them. I don't know what he said to them, but I can only imagine. Well done, you three. Well done. Thank you for standing up before King Nebuchadnezzar. And and, and just the encouragement he must have given them. The Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar called them out. And he says, come out. And he, he looked And all of them gathered, verse 27, and look at what they said. They saw these men on whose body the fire, note this, had no power. What a contrast to what was said a few verses back. The fire was burned seven times as hot, and it killed the men who brought them in. And here the Bible says the fire had no power over the three. We see the sovereign power of God, even over fire, to be able to protect them. What God does not allow to happen to you, He will not allow. And we're going to see this in chapter 6 in Daniel and the lion's den. Whatever God does not allow you to happen in your life, it will not happen. Not a hair on their head was singed. Not one strand of garment was affected. And the smell, the smell of fire was not there. Because my friends, when God saves, He saves completely. But you say, boy... What an experience. Couldn't God have saved them before they got thrown in? Why did God have to save them while they were in the fire? And therein is the third principle. Being fearless understands that sometimes God does not save us from the fire. God saves us in the fire. Being fearless understands that sometimes God does not save us from the fire. God saves us in the fire. God allows us to go through fiery trials of our life so that we will have our faith and our strength tested. You may say, well, okay, hang on, Pastor. If, is this true? If God chose not to save them, if they were burned alive, if God chose to save them, not to save them, how can you say He saves us in the fire? Let me ask you this. What's the worst thing that could happen to them? They die. But when they die, where do they go? They go to heaven. They go into the presence of the Lord. And for us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, the things that the world throws at us, the worst thing that can happen, we, we have a sickness. The worst thing that can happen to us is that we die. But when we die, the Christian perspective of death is that we are saved from this world into the loving arms of our Savior. And therefore, I can stay with certainty Sometimes God does not save us from the fire. God saves us in the fire. Have you resolved to stand fearless and follow the Lord even amidst the flames of your life? When we go through the trials and we wonder, God, how can I stand firmly for you? You don't come to my help, aid. You don't come to my rescue. But my friend, He does. He helps us even in the fire. He saves us even in the fire. And a lot of people think the most amazing thing about this chapter 
is that God saves them in the fire and protects them, even talks to them. But you know, for me personally, when I read chapter 3 of the book of Daniel, the greatest impact for me was the testimony of these three men, was the fearlessness of these three men who stood before the king of kings, as the Bible even recounts him, the greatest king of the empire at that time, and told him to his face, we will not worship your idol. That's fearlessness. And even if you kill us, we will still not worship your idol. That's the most impactful thing for me. God is able to save us, but if He does not, we will never bow down. That is fearlessness. And I hope you cultivate that same fearlessness in your life. What's the result? Very quickly, the last few verses. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angels and delivered his servant who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their body that they should not serve any or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I will make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their home shall be made as ash heap. Because, note this, there is no other God who can deliver like this. What a change of heart on King Nebuchadnezzar's part. He told the three, who can save you from my hands? Well, apparently, the true God can. And he acknowledges there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. What is the result of all this? The result of all this is that God is glorified. My friends, standing bold for Christ is not an ego test. It's not a strength of how strong you are. I'm going to stand firm for the Lord. I'm going to be counterculture. Whatever the world says, I'm I'm just going to be different. When you stand fearless before the Lord, the end result is that it is to glorify God. It is so that God is glorified. At the end of all this, God is glorified. King Nebuchadnezzar blesses and glorifies the one true God. The worship of Yahweh is now allowed in the entire empire of Babylon. The three men were promoted to the glory of God. You can say at the end of this chapter, to God be the glory. You see, the end result of standing fearless is always the fact that God is glorified. And that's a challenge for us. When we stand fearless, it's not an ego trip. It's not a, a, a macho trip. It's not to see how strong we are. It's to make sure that God is glorified. And I hope that is how it is lived in your life as you are a testimony for Him in this world. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. For the testimony of these three as an example to how we are to live our life, we thank You. We thank You for the wonderful response of these three. You can save us, but even if you don't, we will still obey you. Father, thank you that you take care of us. You love us so much. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross as an example of your great love for us. That's why we know you will save us not only from the fire, but often in the fire. Help us, Lord, each one to stand boldly for you, to glorify you as you have glorified the Father through your death on the cross. As we partake of communion now, may this experience enable us, remind us again, to stand firm for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.